2: and policy experts on today's most important issues. Our events are part of our mission to formulate and promote conservative public policies based on the principles of free enterprise, limited government, individual freedom, traditional American values, and strong national defense. We hope you enjoy the program.
3: Here to talk about the Academy Awards. My name is Lee Edwards and I'm a fellow here at the Heritage Foundation. I'm Very, very excited about this because Cheryl and I, Cheryl Rhodes and I, have been working on this for months, and we have this most distinguished panel, and we're so pleased to be able to take a look at this question of, do the Academy Awards still matter? Well, uh, we know that the TV audience for this most recent ceremony was down. The press coverage was not as fulsome as in the past. The stars didn't seem to shine quite as brightly as they have in the past. Of course, the telecast was too long. And the thank yous were embarrassing, uh, revealing how lost even skilled actors are without a script. And yet, and yet, the Oscars are still sought after. Millions of Americans tune in to see their favorite stars and marvel at the decolletage. And there's one more thing the Academy Awards are important for their impact on our culture and therefore on our politics. And we agree with the late Andrew Breitbart that politics is downstream from culture. I want to say that again because it really is sort of our mantra. Politics is downstream from culture, which is why Heritage is hosting this evening's discussion, why it's assembled a distinguished panel, Certainly, and indeed, the most distinguished panel of Hollywood and film experts that have ever appeared on the heritage stage. Because we're the first. Athletes.
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> no comment. So we've asked them here to consider the following three questions. Do the Academy Awards still matter? How have they survived as conservatives in Hollywood and the movie-making business? And finally, what, if anything, can conservatives do to have a greater influence in Hollywood and therefore on our culture? Now, I'm going to introduce our distinguished panelists, but before I do that, we have two trailers uh, which we're going to show, And uh, one trailer is of the winners of the Academy Awards. And the other trailer is some of the most recent work of these distinguished filmmakers. And I have the opportunity now to say something that I've always wanted to say. Lights, camera, action.
2: Do you really think you can meet the Russian delegation looking like that? No. I will manage it. Go back to your rooms. Thank
4: you. Did you just look at me? Did you?
0: Look at me!
3: When I know I really have them,
5: I couldn't sing off key if I tried. I'm exactly the person I was always meant to be.
0: I'm not afraid of
3: anything. What can I do for you? Well, since you asked, I hate
6: blacks. I hate Jews, Mexicans, and Irish italians and chinese but my mouth to god's ears i really hate those black rats and anyone else really that doesn't have pure white aryan blood running through their veins i'm happy to be talking to a true white american
3: god bless white america Dolores.
0: I saw Dr. Shirley play the piano. He's like a genius, I think. Come on, take it
4: in. I prefer not to get grease on my blanket. Ooh, I'm
0: gonna get grease on my blanket. This gentleman says that I'm not permitted to dine here. I'm afraid not. How does he smile and shake their hands like that? Because it takes courage to change people's hearts.
3: Now, there's going to be a pause, and uh, while we're waiting, I want to begin introducing our wonderful panel. Here's what one national critic said about the work of David, Dave Allen Johnson. Quote, this is the kind of show we might get if Norman Rockwell were alive and could write scripts as well as he painted. Uh, He has collaborated with some of Hollywood's top names, teaming up with Steven Spielberg, to co-create and executive produce DreamWorks' premier television production, the ABC drama High Incident. Dave has also created television and film projects for Disney, Paramount, Sony, Warner Brothers. I'm running out of breath here. He has also partnered with the former Disney executive Steve Macbeth and their media company Salt Entertainment Group. His next film, One Star in the Sky, is a feature from his award-winning script. Mark Joseph, producer, author, and founder of MJM Entertainment Group, worked in development for Walden Media and Crusader Entertainment. He's producing the feature film Reagan, starring, I think, Mark who? Dennis Quaid. Dennis Quaid, wow, looking forward to that. Also, Tolkien and Lewis is under consideration. Max Rose and Silence Patton, is that our friend George?
6: Yeah, that's right. That's already out.
3: Wow. He's worked in the development and marketing of 40 films, including The Chronicles of Narnia, Roy, and Little Boy. Produced the film No Safe Spaces, starring comedian Adam Carolla and talk show host author Dennis Prager. Founder of Renaissance Women Productions, Nina May, produced, wrote, and directed Life Fine-Tuned, which won the International Family Film Festival in Hollywood 2012 and over 14 other awards. It's one of my favorite films, and I guess you know why. <laughs> Creator and director of the dramatic TV series Daily Bread on DirecTV, wrote, produced, and directed the award-winning short films Mark, Sweet Victory, and Blondie. She is now currently in post-production on the romantic comedy First Lady, which she wrote and directed. Our next panelist, a veteran of Chicago's famous Second City comedy touring troupe and winning awards in Chicago and L.A., Cheryl Felicia Rose, has acted in television, film, theater, performed with Patrick Dempsey and Russell Crowe, was a regular character on the NBC series Against the Grain with Ben Affleck best known as Mother Goose in the Mother Goose Video T.V.D. Treasury. She is CEO of the Cheryl Felicia Rhodes Northern Virginia Acting School and has taught over how many?
7: 6,000.
3: 6,000 students. Wow. Our final panelist, Dr. Alvita C. King, is a pro-life evangelist, best-selling author and former state representative in Georgia, one-time college professor, and director of the pro-life organization Civil Rights for the Unborn. The daughter of the late activist, the Reverend A.D. King, she grew up in the civil rights movement led by her uncle, Martin Luther King, Jr. An accomplished musician and actress, Dr. King has produced the CD, Let Freedom Ring, and appeared in the documentary, The Human Experience. She had a major role in Sharkey's Machine, starring Burt Reynolds, and also appeared in the TV version of In the Heat of the Night. She can be seen in the docudrama Roe vs. Wade, starring John Voigt and Stacey Dash. And now I think we're ready for trailer number two, which features some of the current works of our panelists. Roll them.
1: In my past, I've done movies, I've done features, I've done television. But for a long time, I was what they called a showrunner in television, which is means you're kind of in charge of everything. So it's your creative vision, but you're also in charge of the production side of it.
8: Well, since Mavista
4: vista wants the story right again, maybe mom and dad should give it a try.
0: You're as smart as you think you are. You let go of my hand, because then I
3: won't cut you
4: looking for this
3: and to think my billfold's not even in there friend of mine's idea wisdom is found in those who take advice that's from proverbs the bible you ever heard of it
1: you cannot be happy if you think yourself a
0: victim you've been served you're suing someone in a court of law suing god
9: tiny mistake is that how you look at that child of yours
3: Get this kid out of the All right. The truth is, her life with me was a lie.
2: Canceled.
6: Me too. What exactly is it that you do?
2: Divorce attorney.
6: Me
8: too.
0: Imagine the unimaginable.
3: Sometimes I think about how different things could be if that wave had just struck in the middle of a the-
5: Hello, I'm Alveda King, an executive producer of the new feature film Roe v. Wade, which chronicles the infamous abortion-enabling court case that impacted American history.
8: Are
3: you sure you want to do this? You're a liar. You did this. You led me down this path. You didn't want that. You seen the post this morning? I saw Idiot. There's a leak.
5: Got Hollywood on their
9: side. My name is Naima, and I um, I guess I'm a producer, director, writer. I think they call it showrunner when it's a TV series. Um,
8: And
5: that's
8: me. Grandfather. Times do I have to repeat myself? It can't be
1: that hard.
8: told me what Larry died
7: last night. What? I'm so sorry. He worries me he has no sense at all. And he's going to be late for supper
8: Oh no your Good
3: God
7: now look, you better pay up or I'm going to pop you.
0: <coughs> Ma'am, this is silly. I'm
7: going to give you three seconds. One,
0: Mississippi. Barry, <laughs> just keeping her honest.
3: Two, Timmy, if I'm in trouble, blink. Hmm. Okay, so you guys are on. Um, Dave, why don't we start with you on this question of do the Academy Awards still matter? And please, anybody else, jump in when you feel like it, and then we'll go on to the second and third questions.
1: Yeah, I'll stay short on this question. Um, I, I don't know that they... They matter to the people in the club. Um, they don't matter, really, I don't think, outside the club anymore. And uh, they matter for the companies for marketing. Really, you know, the award shows are all just free marketing for all the product. So... Uh, You know, I've, the Academy Awards have never held a fascination to me. Um, I know how they're voted on. I know how the whole deal works. It's, it's, uh, you know, everybody's, it's, you know, I know people who give their ballots to their secretaries or their assistants or their kids and say, vote for who you want to, you know, turn it back in. So I, it's, uh, I think they matter if you're in the club and, uh, since, but probably not much beyond that. And the others may disagree. But.
6: Well, uh, first of all, I have to say that I brought my copy of Lee Edwards' book from 1966 with me today to get it autographed. It's a biography of Reagan, 66, 68, somewhere around there. So uh, it's great to be here. I'm just thrilled that Heritage is doing this, that, yes. that Lee is, and, and Felicia are leading the charge here. Um, you know, the larger question is, do these movies matter as well? And and I think in the case of both the Oscars and these movies, they really matter a great deal because our culture is really impacted by the movies. And when a movie wins an Oscar, it carries forward and does more business because of it. And so, you know, for those of us who are tempted not to care, we really don't have the option of not caring. We have to care about this. Right off the bat, I just want to share with you a story from 2013. I had the chance to visit with Justice Scalia in his chambers. And by the way, the, the contrast between Justice Scalia and Justice Kennedy's chambers are very, very strong contrast. Justice Kennedy's chambers, there's classical music playing, soft music, carpeted, the butler comes with tea. Justice Scalia, you kind of put up your feet and sit and chew the fat. But one thing he told me I've never forgotten, and I'll quote it a thousand times before I die, he said... Uh, Issues are decided in Hollywood where you guys work, and they come to us for ratification. If we took that phrase seriously, we would reorder the entire movement that you guys are a part of, would reorder priorities if Justice Scalia's words are correct, and I believe they are correct. He was frustrated. Things came to him for ratification. They've been decided 3,000 miles away. I hope that phrase will live on and sink in uh, to people in Washington, D.C. So, yes, I think they matter a tremendous amount, more than we can probably ever imagine.
9: Well, it's interesting because um, for me personally, they don't matter. In fact, if anyone is nominated for an Academy Award, I usually run the other way. I'm probably the only person that you'll ever meet that was actually in an Academy Award, not just nominated, but um, the movie won. How do you call it? And I'm embarrassed to tell you which one it was. I was an extra in it. And I didn't even know I was in the movie. I mean, I thought it was in an FBI training film for three days. I had no idea what I was doing. And it was like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but to think about that, think about being in a movie that you're too embarrassed to tell anyone won the best picture of the Academy Awards. That's, that's saying something about how far I think that they've gone from years and years ago when people would flock to them because they knew that the value system that they, that they were created under were basically the same value system that America embraced. It was all homogenous, if you know what I'm saying. I mean, we all saw churches on every corner. I mean, you know, Christianity was not an evil word. Being a conservative Republican was not horrible and awful. You didn't have um, sort of this political correct, uh, I don't know, what you sort of star chamber thing that has to happen that if you do not have these things in your movie, you will not succeed. And so because these things are in this movie and they are succeeding, why would we want to watch them? I mean, they're basically setting an agenda for the destruction of the culture. And a very dear friend of ours who is a well-known actor, and he's just about to fill out his his form. And I was discussing with him, was the night that they were due and everything. It's kind of like you say, you let the friends and family. And he had his favorite picture, and I had liked another one. And he says, Nina, my Uh, philosophy has been, ever since I've been filling these things out, he says, I will not commit cultural suicide. So I vote for, whether I've seen it or not, and I've heard that it's good, that I've heard that it's the most conservative, the most value-laden, the most wholesome, I will vote for that one over the one that everyone else goes, oh, it's so great and it's so wonderful, because if I don't make a tiny little notch on the belt all along the way, then I will have failed. But you've got to remember, the academy is a closed club. It would be sort of like the academy of dentists or something and they're having you know like a, a the the best i don't know fillings system and we're all out there going no i think that guy does the best filling and that guy does it's a club it's a fraternity it's a sorority and so the fact that they publicize it and they they televise it that's nothing to us i mean we're just getting to look in the window of, of how they live their lives and it really is a reflection of what they believe and if it's not what lines up with our moral values why do we support them so that's why they're going down that's the reason why people are going, oh are you kidding that was nominated that is so embarrassing on so many levels so that's where I'm coming from
7: <laughs> well um, I come from a little different perspective although I know both Dave and Alveda uh, had done acting before but as an actress, of course, I always loved the Oscars. When I was a little girl, I looked forward to the Academy Awards as much as my birthday and Christmas. I mean, because from the time I was four, that's what I was gonna do, you know? And so I saw these people as my teachers and guidelines. And when I got to college, you didn't have to be the theater department to be excited about the Academy Awards. I mean, people, uh, you know, girls in my, in my um, uh, building, You know, we'd all dress up in our old prom formals to go down to the student union to watch the Academy Awards. That's not the case anymore. Sure, I you know, I have an acting school. I have students that are very interested, and I was texting back and forth with uh, one of my students because I had to watch it because of this panel. But the thing is, because the industry has changed so much, uh, with Netflix, with Amazon, with all these other uh, venues. See, you know, <laughs> you're going to think I'm Methuselah, but back when I was in my early 20s, starting this business, there were there were three channels on television, you know, and then and then uh, uh, PBS and the cable stuff started like later in the 80s. But you watched the Oscars because that was it. You'd watch Barbara Walters doing the interviews with whoever was the big celebrity they thought was going to win. That isn't the world we live in anymore. And one thing I, I watched. All the nominated ones, except for Roma, this time. And the thing...
6: I uh, watched it so you wouldn't have to.
7: Yeah, yeah. Okay, thank you. You took, you took that for me. But anyway, um, I, I was watching them all, and yes, they were all politically correct, and there were certain elements. I used to work some of the award shows, and people would say, all right, this, 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 has to be in it in order for, to win an award. But as I'm watching all the nominated films, with the exception of Green Book, which won the best picture? It was all about victimhood, and it was all about you know poor me and how everything has gotten me beaten down. Yes, there were bad things that happened to both the lead guys, and and this this idea that they had for Green Book that oh well it was about you know the white savior not at all. The black character also saved the white guy. Vice versa was like to me, you know, which was what *To Kill a Mockingbird* too, where people learn from each other. And but this thing of victimhood and what Andrew Breitbart said about the culture or the politics flowing down from the culture. My students will tell you that I teach them to tell me three things they are grateful for in their life. Nothing is owed you, and we have such a society of entitlement. And I do blame the film and the theater industry for that. And I love movies. And I love theater. But this is such a different world than it was when I first wanted to be an actress. But I still want to be an actress. And I still want to encourage people to go for these things. Because the game ain't over yet. So the Academy Awards matter. Yes and no. Making films, telling your story, Telling your
5: truth will always matter. Wow. Wow. That was great. Uh, first, to be a heritage, Lee, and to every, the panel, everyone gathered here, this is a, a policy giant, this particular seat here. And when we think about the nation right now, and media has been called, film media and that kind of thing, has been called the fourth branch of government. Hmm. And so film and media still make a difference in the culture. And I'm 68, and during the Civil Rights Movement in the 20th century, it was the singers and the actors and many of those that participated to help move the message out. So that's still important. I went to see Green Book, and I went with some of my children, and they said, D- doesn't Uncle so-and-so have a-, a Green Book? And you really, did you people, you know, when you people, we are you people now because we're old, Right. <laughs> Did you really have to have a book to find out where it was safe to go as a black person? Well, yeah, we did. Green Book was real. Black Panther did have a little a culture thing and, and, and stuff like that, but it's beautiful. So I still enjoy film, too. I was, uh, when I met Nina, I first met Nina, Kobe and Nina, I was sad because I had turned down an audition a few few years before that in Color Purple mm-hmm. and things like that because I couldn't do my craft anymore. Because it was the last role they wanted me to take was to be a prostitute in a movie, and my kids were like, "Seriously, are you considering doing that?" Well, no, kids, I'll stay home. So Nina asked me to help with Emancipation, revolution, Revelation, revolution. revolution, and I was like, "Wow, I-, I can still do some of this." And then she asked me to be Granny Toontoss in in one of a fabulous movie if you've not seen it, Life Fine Tune. So staying connected, getting back in the industry, taking on. Um, Roe v. Wade, the movie, is an executive producer and a little cameo. But I don't do things like that to be at the Oscars, get an Oscar. I've never dreamed of having an Oscar, although I have known Oscar winners and that kind of thing. But we still matter, and we are a conscience in the industry. And so that's why we, we matter whether the Oscars matter or not. And they may pretend that they don't know we're out there. But these independent movies are running circles around some of those real giant budgets. So the Oscars may or may not matter as much, but our voices matter. So we have to keep doing what we do. So uh, I don't know, because Oscars sometimes have just been absolutely horrible and to a point you just couldn't watch them, you know. And, uh, but they did put on more clothes this year. <laughs> I did notice that. So maybe we're making a difference after all.
1: So, yeah, yeah yeah, the, the question is how have I, how have we survived in, in as a conservative, uh, in my case, as a Christian in, in Hollywood? And uh, sort of to just touch base on the last question again, I, I agree completely with Mark, Mark said in terms of the content that's created. Matters more than anything else. The American media, the American entertainment media, is the most powerful force in the history of the planet. Um, I have, uh, you know, I have a story. A friend of mine is an FBI agent who was on the Karachi, Pakistan arrest finding Daniel Pearl's killer. And one of those shows, Doc was on his was on TV in Pakistan, and he ca- He texted me from there, and he said, "I just saw one of your shows on Pakistan. If I said." on the street corner what that show said they would arrest me i mean it's just unbelievable the power of media in terms of the so that that matters i'm not sure the oscars is is in today's world is where we should be because that's a that's a it's a little bit like saying you know uh it's a club that doesn't really want us in in it so you know how important are they and there's half of the country at least half of the population and i would say it's more than half quite a bit more than half who not only doesn't care about them can't tell you who won them won't go to them and you know they're not making content for that part of the audience so as a conservative a person who lived in the in the system and came up in the system and you know i wrote Produced or directed four or five hundred million dollars worth of content. All of it within the system before I moved out. Um, you know, you, you just don't tell people what you are. I mean, you, you know, you're smart enough to know that it's probably not good for me to lead with, Hey, I'm on the opposite team. You just don't tell anybody. And, you know, you, you try to be a nice person, you try to live by example, you try to, Be excellent at what you do. That's the first and foremost. Find out if you're really excellent at what you do and you really deliver and, you know, you're great to work with. Suddenly, you know, you can rise up the ladder and opportunities exist. But it was always a challenge. Even 20 years ago, nothing like today, but 20 years ago, it was still a challenge to get through the system your values. I mean, I I had a pilot at CBS... that we were trying to cast and i can actually use his name for the first time ever because he's out of the business les moonves and les moonves who's one of the most powerful men in in hollywood for the last 10 years just got booted as the head of cbs for uh me too issues and and i wanted to cast um charlton heston and Charlton Heston was sort of making a comeback. He was ahead head of the NRA, but he was making a comeback because he had uh, just hosted Saturday Night Live and he had done something else. And it was kind of like the thing. I said, I said I get the perfect guy for this, Charlton Heston. And without a beat, Les Moonves looked at me and there was about eight or nine people in the room and he said, Charlton Heston will never be on a show in a company that I'm associated with. Boom, end of the conversation. I mean, and that, I could, t- I could literally t- for an hour tell you individual stories like that. So you kind of know right off, you know, you don't, you know how to play the game. Um, but, you know, if you do your job, you, you do well, you can, you can rise up. Now is a different time, and we'll talk to that sort of at the next question, is where do we go from here? And that's really sort of what my passion is and for whatever time left uh, I'm going to do. But uh, I'll tell you, and hopefully that's a long time, but uh, I'll let you know.
6: Well, Lee gave us the answers to questions to this pop quiz earlier, so I got a chance to think about when he sent that question over. But I thought back to something Ronald Reagan said. I think it was in 76, Lee. I sent that to you as well. But he was asked, do you identify yourself as a conservative Republican? And he said no, uh, because that term tends to send away people that I want to reach. That's Ronald Reagan, guys. This is a very smart man. But he knew that he's not going to reach Reagan Democrats in Michigan who work at a, at a plant if he bandied about himself as a conservative Republican. So he actually skewed that term in order to reach who became Reagan Democrats. There's a guy who's thinking three steps ahead. Um, I don't consider myself a conservative filmmaker because I'm a filmmaker, and I'm in the majority of the country. I have the values of 75 percent of you and others in the country. I think that if you're in the minority, you should identify yourself as a progressive filmmaker that, that takes care of 10%, 15 20% of the population. Maybe that should be the, the, the modifier. I just consider myself a, a person who makes films for America, for fellow Americans in the broad mainstream, and I just don't, I just don't embrace that label. And I think there is a danger of going down that path of, of taking on that as though you're the oddball. Um, I think most of you in this room uh, looking around here are sort of Main Street USA, and and, and I make movies for you all. Um, to be honest with you, even though I would probably not turn down an Oscar, um, I'm much more interested in box office. Uh, I have friends in Hollywood who, honestly, I don't think they really care about box office. They're much more interested in peer approval, in Oscars. And they'll talk about the Oscar like it is the end-all, be-all. And I'm just thinking box office, not just for the money, but for the impact that a film like that has. So I've had a chance to be a part of The Passion of the Christ, which I produced the soundtrack for, worked on the marketing, Chronicles of Narnia, developing it. These are box office smashes. They didn't win any Oscars. Well, Passion won like one's obscure Oscar for wardrobe or something you know, ridiculous. Um, But they didn't win a lot of Oscars, but they sure did a lot of box office. So if I have the choice of those two, it's not even a a close call. Peer approval, as long as my wife and my kids and my mom think I'm doing okay, that's really the (laughs) peer approval that I'm interested in, uh, and (coughs) and the man upstairs. But, um, yeah, uh, it doesn't drive my life uh, at a a ceremony.
9: Um, I'm always – a little reluctant to use the word conservative only because another group has defined what conservative is. And I don't have time to sit there and give them the talking points of what a conservative is versus a liberal versus a progressive or da-da-da-da-da. So um, I, I just try and, you know, be the best person I can and be the person God created me to be. So when we're on our sets that we create, I do not, there's no litmus test. It's not like, okay, when you sign up, um, are you a Republican? Are you a conservative? Are you a Christian? None of that. Nothing at all like what the Holly, what Hollywood does. I mean, heaven forbid that any of us walk on the set of a Hollywood set with a MAGA hat on. Oh, oh, please. I mean, don't even go there. It would
1: not be a good idea. It would
9: it would not be a good idea, and um, and that is really sad because what I think needs to be done is separating the craft of, of movie making from politics. I mean, there's, unless, of course, the movie is about politics, for example, First Lady, it's about politics, but it's not political. If that makes sense. There's nothing political. I challenge anyone to tell me what party any of these characters belong to. And I, I specifically mixed and matched it. So they go, aha, he's a Republican. Then, no, he sounds liberal there. Wait, he's I'm so confused. I'm just going to enjoy the movie. And that's the whole point. Just enjoy the movie. Just be entertained. And I think Hollywood has gone so far afield of entertainment. They're so committed. I mean, their dogma now is indoctrinate, indoctrinate, indoctrinate. Push, push, push. Da da da. So they're doing all the... They're making all the mistakes that they tell the young filmmakers not to make, like being on the nose. Hello? You know, that's one of the big mistakes you make when you're writing your movie. And everybody goes, oh, that was so on the nose, I can't even believe it. Well, why don't they tell the liberals? Do you know how on the nose that thing was? Oh, my gosh. Instead, it's like, here, here's an Oscar. You are perfectly on the nose, and that's what we love. So it's almost like they're turning filmmaking on its head with all the rules and regulations that we had been taught, and especially from these compassionate liberals. How tolerant are they? Hello, again, go back to the MAGA hat. I'll give you a perfect example. And I'm I might as well go ahead and say it because it's been on Facebook and everyone knows about it. But when we were filming First Lady, there was going to be a scene. Uh, I call it my cameo scene. It's the the dining room scene where they announce that uh, Taylor and Kate are going to run together, blah, blah, blah. Well, Alveda's in this scene and um, Nancy Scholl's in the office and her... Yeah, I'm coming and Nancy Schules and her husband, uh Dick Schultz, who's congressman, I elevated him to the position of a senator and it was really fun. They got they got talking points. Cheryl was married to a congressman. my son was in it. Um and I had asked um a friend, and she's in the news now, I'd asked a friend, Donna Brazil, if she wanted to be in this scene with us, this cameo. And she says, Oh, let me see the script, send her the script. She goes, I love the script. This is so much fun. She goes, I want to do this," she says. "Let me look at my schedule and see if I can do it." So we were back and forth, back and forth, to see if she could do it. And unfortunately, at the last minute, she could not do it. So the huge irony is, I call a girl that had been in my last one of our last the 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 series, the Daily Bread series, and she was a delight to work with. She was very funny, and I thought, okay, this will be perfect. I'll give her the role. Well, we're just about to film. I mean, literally, almost calling action kind of thing. She was nine. I kind of talked to you for a minute. And I thought she was going to ask about her line. I I had no idea where this was going. I said, sure. She took me in the other room and she says, I can't be in your movie. And I said, why? And she says, because Stacey Dash is in it. And without missing a beat, I said, oh, is it because she's black?
1: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
9: you know, I, I, I knew where this was going. Yes, I, mean, I, knew, I knew instinctively where it was going and I wanted the pushback. And you know what the shocking thing was? She didn't go, oh, no, 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 no. She didn't do that at all. She goes... She didn't even say no. She said, it's because she's conservative. And I I was thinking to myself, does she even know where I am politically? (laughs) And she read my columns that I it's all over Facebook. I mean, I'd say 95% of the people in that set were were probably self-proclaimed conservatives, but she picked out that one, which I thought was pretty ironic because she is black, that she said, I just can't be in this this movie with her. I said okay, I wanted to say don't let the door hit you in the butt on the way out. But I said, well, okay, you've got you to do what you've got to do. But I thought how incredibly ironic that was that you had a well-known black woman activist, sp- spokesman, she's now going to be you know, a part of the, the Fox family, was so excited about being in a movie, being with people that she knew and and liked and just having fun. She was just so excited about the idea of just having fun. And this other person, you would never know her name and probably you're not gonna ever know her name because when she posted that on Facebook, even people that will agreed with her politically said, are you stupid? Are you like stuck on stupid? That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard anyone do. Because you cannot you you cannot go onto a set and it be politically pure for you. And if you're that person, guess what? You're never gonna find work. I'm sorry. So I would never post anything about her. I'm not mentioning her name, obviously. It's not, it's not important what her name is, but the important thing is to see how, even in this industry, these young kids are being so indoctrinated to the point that it's going to hurt their careers. It's going to hurt them in relationships. It's just not right what's happening, and it's reflected in the movies, and if we don't stand up and give them the alternatives of different, fun, entertaining movies to watch, then you know we're all in trouble, I think. No, no, no.
7: <laughs> and nine, and Nina's right. Uh, that following week, I talked to three different producers, all different religions, all different politics, and even the guy who absolutely believed this gal said I would never hire her again because it was so incredibly unprofessional. And one thing I'm thinking is, I'm listening to all this, I, you know, I I think our lives all have a story arc, you know, for the writers in the crowd, and... um I grew up in a family where everybody was a different religion, different politics. I mean, my mom and dad, you know, my mom was a liberal Catholic Democrat, my dad was a Southern Baptist Republican, and, you know, uh, there they would go, and then they'd, you know, my mom would switch, you know, different times, and then wound up another way, but in our family, I, I always kid that in our family, we would even get into arguments whether or not the one-man luge should be allowed as an event in the Olympics, you know, and my mother was 89 at the time, was pro-luge, you know, I mean, so it didn't take politics to to be on different ends, but, I'm the youngest. I was kind of the comedian, and I'd always try to lighten lighten things up, you know, whenever, wherever I could. So I worked with people of all all different beliefs all the time. And when I was in college in theater classes, there was a you know a a, a little bit of the agenda being pushed, and everything. But I figured, all right, as long as we're working, who cares? And by the time I was w- working as a young actress in the early '80s. Uh, when I was in Second City in the comedy troupe there, you either, you know, went along with certain agendas and I got in trouble because I didn't want to sing a funny song about abortion. And I said, let let me be funny in my own way. You 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 do what you need to do and, and let me do, you know, how I'm funny. Um, another thing that happened in Hollywood, though, I mean, several things happened in Hollywood. Um, I had an agent call me the night before a national election and told me who to vote for. And I said, Um, do you have an audition for me tomorrow? And she said, well, no, you just need to vote for her. so And I went, okay, I thought this was about an audition. Okay. So then. It was. Yeah, yeah, it was an audition. No, but I just, hello, and I went. But something will happen is I'll make jokes only so long, and then all of a sudden you push me too far, and I'm like a Warner Brothers cartoon with steam coming out of my ears. Um, I was at an audition um, uh, at this place that I'd been with for 19 years, and they had all these political signs up all the time, and I'm thinking, gosh, you know, I'm thinking, you know, they're not the Heritage Foundation, they're not a think tank, okay, and I just, I would ignore it, I would ignore it, I'm here to get a job, that's my business, that's all my business. As I'm in there working on this audition, and it was an audition to do a commercial for Forrest Long, okay? So I'm in there, and I can hear my agent at the top of his lungs screaming with another actor about these so-and-so, profanity, profanity, describing somebody exactly like me. And I prayed, and I said, God, what, what do I do here? You know, what do I do? And all of a sudden, he really let loose with some profanity, and I said, thank you. And I went down, and I knocked on the door, and he said, oh, I'm sorry, we're arguing politics. And I said, so I hear, um, can I talk to you for a moment? And the other actor left, and he went, and I said, I, I got to tell you, um, you know, we've had this great relationship for 19 years. I'm one of those people you just described. And I got to tell you something. This is your business. You're allowed to do whatever you want. This, this is your company. But I thought you might want to know that after 19 years, how I feel being distracted by that. If anything, what if they'd been discussing the World Series or sports or whatever, when you're there to audition for a job? And I said, and I'll tell you, I I need to tell you how it made me feel. And that's it. I don't expect you to change. I don't expect you to do a single thing about it. But I, I needed you to know. How that made me feel. Okay, so I call a casting director friend of mine and then another actress a celebrity who are on the same side on a lot of stuff, and she said, oh, Cheryl, oh, man, you know, you auditioned for a Forest Lawn commercial. Your career is dead, too. You know, and I said, well, I just, I had to say something. Lo and behold, I got called in for three more auditions that week, and I booked the commercial that I auditioned for. And my experience has been, Along the line, as an actress, I, I never wanted to do to my students or other people what had been done to me with various theater teachers. I just figured, let's let's concentrate on the work. But when i get pushed, and it happened on various shows, then I'd have a quiet conversation. It's not like Facebook where you start a screaming match. What's the point of that? You're not even having a conversation if you really, really want to have a conversation. And I'll just close on this the actress that walked off set on Ina's movie. She was claiming she did it, you know, standing up for women. Yet she left Alvida and me and other women on the set, having an anybody, anybody who's learned lines, when you're trying to reshuffle, okay, who's going to do do what line? The director. And you're the director, yeah. But I mean, yeah, the women, <laughs> exactly, exactly. And, and so um, I thought, what if she missed an opportunity for a miracle? What if she was supposed to have a conversation with Stacy Dash? What if they were supposed to affect each other and just have a conversation person to person? But because her ego, because she wanted to blog about it, and it, it's it's that entitlement thing, maybe she missed what could have been a turning point in her own life. Maybe Stacy would have learned something from her. But that's the thing that is so sad today because people are so eager to get out there. Um uh, you know, to put other folks down on stuff and uh and if you 're an artist, you want to be a storyteller to everybody
5: mm-hmm. hmm. um i 'm here with my goddaughter, Angela Stanton King, and I was already her godmother. she was Angela Stanton, and then years or so ago she married a man named Aaron King, oh, Wow. And I said, did you marry him because his last name is Kate? (laughs) (laughs) She didn't. It's a beautiful love story between them. But uh, she invited me. She's a reality TV star. And some of the Hollywood folks actually did produce this show. It's on BET Her called From the Bottom Up. So I was invited to be on it. I'm a conservative. Uh, She is now. But at the time, she was an independent. And some of them were just diehard liberals. So I said, how can you be, BET, don't they watch CNN? I say, I don't know what they watch. I don't, it doesn't matter to me. It's it's, it's what we're going to be talking about that matters. So I ended up doing the show. Uh, it was reality, so I actually was a spiritual Christian counselor praying for a, her family on the show. and uh, But that taught me quite a bit, and it taught them. And they were like, oh. You're nothing like they say you are. You're just a person. I say, yeah, I'm just a person. That's true. So I'm beginning to find that out more and more in the industry. And on Roe v. Wade, same thing. Uh, I just need to watch how I say this, but the faith belief of one of the people who was doing some of the filming was totally different from mine. But at the end of that particular session, he says, wow, maybe I'll, I'll have to go and look at some of that stuff you were saying. Amen. So when I go to work, I really just go to work, yeah. and everything does not have to be political. Right. And so, but I'm serious. I said that a few minutes ago. I said it again, it was a breath breath of fresh air, way back then with emancipation to get back in front of a camera because I had been barred because of who people thought I was, and for a, for a minute I couldn't work in the industry, and I missed it. And I've done several things since then, but I, I was so glad. I so it, we. We survive by continuing to do what we're good because do what we do well because the craft is good and that's kind of what matters but we don't have to compromise our faith our values to do it so that's how we've that's how I've survived at this time and uh, I've had some of my good friends in the industry throw out a lifeline here and there so, <laughs> I've enjoyed that
3: we know that leads into that next question that. If- third question is you know wh- what do we do and, and of course you have been talking already making suggestions I think the idea of independent film seem to be becoming more and more and more important I think that's I don't know Mark whether that's what you're doing with Reagan or not uh, whether you're working through a, a studio or not uh, but please uh, where do we go from here what do we do what can be done I mean there are resources out there there are people out there uh how do we how do we get to them
1: well if I, i'll start um it's exactly what i said this is my what i'm going to do for the rest of my time on this planet we have to have our own platforms we have to the other side is never going to embrace us they're never it you know it's what uh, it, if you're if you find a i find a bunch of young, talented filmmakers. I mean, it's unbelievable. I found really good writers, good directors, people who really have passion and heart for this, who are believe in what we believe in. And the, right now, their choice is to go work in an industry with really smart business people and really smart creative people, all of whom not only don't want their view, their worldview, but many of whom, not all, but many of whom abhor their worldview. Or they can go over here and do a single film, a mom-and-pop thing, this, you know, or work with people who really aren't from the business. And it's a terrible choice. And it's, it's, it, it's crazy that that exists in this day and age. We have to have a system, our own system, where you can come out and you say, this is a top-flight person with huge experience in the business. Top flight creatives with huge experience in the business who share your worldview and want to put out the same kind of content that you, uh, you do, and here's a home for you. And we're going to help you launch. We're going to help you grow. We're going to help you distribute. We're going to help you market. And we're going to um, help you succeed. It's very similar. Think of it as an entertainment version of Fox News. Okay, I'm not talking about the politics of it because you do it very differently. You're going there to entertain first, and you have to, you know, bring people in and earn the right to be heard. But I sat with Roger Ailes probably six years after Fox was on. Roger and I in his office, and he was telling me how, you know, he basically said there's a huge audience, at least half the country, I think it's more, who think the news is all liberal and slanted and doesn't show our point of view and doesn't reflect my values. And he went to Rupert and he said, I think there's a big audience out here for this. And, you know, this will succeed. What happened? In three years, they, two, two or three years, they became the most watched news, cable news outlet on TV. And in five or six years, and since that, for the last 15 or 16 years, they have more viewers than all of the others combined. That company has made more, made more money than all of the other divisions for Fox combined. It is a juggernaut. So what do we need to do? We need capital. This, this is the place where we're at. The infrastructure is there. And by the way, 10 years ago, I could not have made this pitch. You couldn't have built this 10 years ago unless you had a couple billion dollars, which we don't have. Now, with not a lot of money, you can actually start building this process and probably in 10 years have a billion or or million billion and a half and a half dollar company. And it's Technology, business models, the democratization from the consumer having control, all of that is is taken place and it's and it's now available to build it. But we and the only and the talents there, the people are there, the people who want to do it, they're there, people with experience to help the younger people come in. and just like with a Fox News as an example, Roger's gone. Fox News exists. Uh, it, you got to build it so it it continues on after we're gone. And, and it's available, we can do it now, but we have to have conservative capital understand the double bottom line. This is good for the world, it's good for, for our country, but it's also a huge money-making opportunity. So those are both good things, and I'll just finish with Alvita said something, which is, you know, when people meet her, they go, well, gee, you're not, you know, we thought you were going to be this and this and this and this. And that is because we have allowed the other side to define us. Yeah. We have to start defining ourselves. And you do that by creating your own stuff so that they see what a real, you know, people who all of us know. I'm a conservative because I think it's the most compassionate the most um, honest, the most compelling thing that you can do to help people. Mm-hmm. But if you talk to people on the street, they'll say if you're conservative, you're greedy, you're a racist, you're uh, you know, selfish, you're self-absorbed, you're a capitalist. Yeah, I am a capitalist. You know why I'm a capitalist? Because capitalism has raised more people out of poverty than any system in the history of the world. So we have to start, though, putting those stories out. Um, we talked a little bit of, I thought of one thing. Now this is the last thing. Um, you know, I saw a, a survey, this is a while ago now, about 75% of, 25% of people, this is a psychological study, 25% of people get their information when they hear something, it first goes to their head, their brain, and then that changes how they think and how they feel. 75% of the people, even greater than that with women, you will understand, they get that information, touches their heart, and that changes how they think. That's why narrative changes people's hearts. It changes their minds. That's why the left does it. That's why the left has done it forever. We have to get better at that. We have to understand how people consume information. And it's some people, it's with charts and graphs and talking. But most people it's not. Most people it's touch them and then they'll hear what you have to say and we have it and it's it's not going to happen unless we build our own platforms and and the time is right
6: wow tough act to follow um look at i just i would just say um there's a danger of sort of sharing these uh oh woe was me stories of hollywood and progressive most of my friends in hollywood are progressives and God bless them. They've done it the right way. They commit resources. They take it seriously. They take stories. So the flip side of this entire conversation is: when is the right going to catch up to the left in caring about stories and movies and music and TV?
1: Exactly. And
6: and this is the heart. This is the heart of the matter. Uh, So, uh, it's very important. You know, I I, uh, the two of the greatest storytellers in history were uh, Ronald Reagan and Jesus Christ. Not to be sacrilegious. But where are the people – where are those disciples of those two people who told stories? Uh, When I was 12 years old, Ronald Reagan would explain abortion the debt by telling these crazy stories about stacking these dollar bills to the moon is what our debt is or something like that. But I was 12. I understand that visual. I don't understand David Stockman's numbers and his budget, but I understood Reagan and the dollar bills to the moon. Uh, Where are the storytellers in the tradition of Ronald Reagan and Jesus Christ? They're just not around – the resources are devoted to other things and not the telling stories. Why does George Soros invest in the Sundance Film Festival? Because he loves movies? No, because he knows how to influence people's opinions and views. Right. Where are the George Soroses? As Ed Meese once told me, we don't have George Soroses on our side. That's Ed Meese. Uh, so I think it's a question that needs to be asked of, of you all's movement. I, I, I'm in a Hollywood-making movie. This is your movement but when, when there's a seriousness about reaching people and changing people's opinions and giving extra or different ideas and thoughts, I think that the resources will follow that change in philosophy.
9: Uh, yeah, and also, too, the left is really amazing at taking fabulous words that we all embrace, like choice, and turning it into murder. I mean, how does that happen? I'll never forget one time I had to debate Bella Abzug and just before we're about to go on, it's a Charlie Rose show. And she says, well, are you pro-choice? And I said, absolutely. Every American should be pro-choice, but I'm against abortion. That's not the proper word for abortion. Abortion is murder. So, yeah, don't take my word choice. And that's the problem is they label things, and we just get in line and do-do-do-do-do, follow that line. ERA, what is it, Equal Rights Amendment. Who's not for the equal rights? And who was out there fighting, it was us going, you don't understand what it really means, and let's get into the weeds on this thing. No, 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 we love the bumper sticker. Just give us the bumper sticker. So we have to get as good or better at that kind of labeling, I think, because otherwise we're, we're just always up against the wall and always like, well, no, no, you don't understand. I'll give you a bumper sticker. I'm going to get ahead of this on this one. Socialism is slavery. How about that for a good bumper sticker? You know, we need to start doing what what they've been doing all this time another yeah exactly another thing that i would say a message for conservative um filmmakers and anyone that wants to get into it and i i've seen this so often and it, it really as especially as a christian it's really very sad that i've seen so many people put their hearts on the line feel called into this industry they do it okay maybe you know the first one is not that great the second one a little bit better da 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 but i don't see a lot of mercy and grace extended if anything i see just the opposite it's it's like a tearing down it's a a condemnation it's a instead of taking them aside and saying hey that was a really great effort i mean the, we know as filmmakers how much work that went into that that you did I want to help you out. I, next time, please let us all read the script. Please let us be a part of it. Let us all work together. Let us help you, as opposed to being the one that's sitting out there, literally with the bow, you know, pulled back with the arrow, waiting for the the, the show to finish and to, you know, shoot the arrow. I just think it it just demoralizes so many incredibly creative people out there that do feel called to it, but they're going gosh, if I'm going up this mountain over here, this liberal mountain, and they're going to be throwing rocks at me, at least I can have maybe a few believers that are in my camp aren't going to do that, but maybe encourage me. So I would say a little bit of grace and mercy can go a long way in the in the movie industry. A, a perfect example is the Kendrick Brothers' first movie, Flywheel. Do you know that's made millions of dollars? It's probably one of the worst produced movies you'll ever see in your entire life. It's like on a high eight a camera, on board mic, and the room lights like this. $20,000. Yeah, amazing. But the message was so powerful and so good. In fact, Cheryl gave it to me, and she says, oh, you've got to watch this movie. It's fabulous. I started watching it and said, you're kidding, right? I, mean, I didn't say it to her, but I'm going, holy cow. Whoa, okay. So I kept going, and I got sucked into the story. And I'm telling you what, you totally began to overlook the bad lighting, the bad sound, the bad production call, the bad acting, all the bad. You started overlooking because the message was so good. So what I'm saying is there is hope on so many levels. And that's my heart is the writing. I love to write. I love, I love that. And I feel that the Lord has, has called me to do this. We need to take, and I won't, okay, let's just say we've got a bunch of, um, these what are they called? Your PowerPoint, not your PowerPoint. your your, your yellow papers, your white papers, yellow papers, white papers. The white papers. Okay, give those white papers out to a lot of different writers and say, okay, take my white paper that I just did, you know, tomes and tomes of, and write a narrative around it. Challenge us to do that. Y'all are the ones that do the research. Y'all do all the you know fabulous insight, the economic blah blah, the yink, 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 all that stuff. And, but nobody's going to, nobody's going to take it back to, you know, home and go, oh, I've got some great reading material here. I'm just going to go through all these economic charts and stuff. Boy, it's going to be so much fun. But if you were to take it and turn it into a narrative, into a fun story, get your point across. What's your point? There's got to be a bottom line point. The the tagline, the elevator pitch, the, you know, the, the, the treatment page or whatever it is. Turn all this into narratives. That's what the left's been doing. I mean, over and over... What was it? Aaron Brockovich or whatever. I mean, like, ugh, seriously? He's got to be an alternative to that. And this global warming thing or whatever they're calling it now, it's not that anymore. It's climate change. i got to keep up with this stuff, you know. Oh, by the way, climate change is seasons. That's another bumper sticker. Climate change equals seasons. You know, please. So, so you know they're going to start flooding the market with that. Let's get ahead of that. Let's tell the truth about this. Tell it in a narrative way. Have some compelling, you know, characters in there. Some fabulous, fun dialogue. Make it a comedy. You see what I'm saying? So anyway, just a little Can grace and mercy is thing all I'm to, saying. To what you just said. No, you can't. No, by,
6: <laughs> by the way, before you run out, uh, if, if you have a couple of billion dollars at your disposal, don't run out and make a family with your friend, a movie with your friends and family. No. Uh, with your own money. And that's another crazy thing that I've seen happen over and over again. Over and over and over. For uh, Take a break. Um, there's a reason. Okay, so let me give you a scenario. Person A makes $10 gazillion in this business, then goes and uses a huge portion of it to make movies and hires cousins and relatives and uncles and aunts, people who are not qualified, loses a bunch of money, and then says, you know, movies are a bad investment. Yep. Well, that person would never have hired uh, – pay people without qualifications for his core business, right? But why does he feel he can do it with this business? And there's somewhere in the back of our minds, there's a feeling anybody can do that. It's just movies, you know, making a camera. But we've been to school, we've been trained at this. And so for the same reason that you wouldn't hire people without experience in your core business, don't run out and do it in this business, but hire people that know what they're doing, maybe that share your values, but have been trained at that craft. It is a craft that we're all trained to, just as any other business is, and for some reason, we experience the billionaires who think they can just go out and do it with friends and family and cousins and aunts and uncles. It just doesn't work that way. And all it ends up doing is they lose a lot of money, go back to their peers, and say what a horrible idea it is. You'll lose money in movies. Please don't do that either. That's the other extreme. Uh, somewhere in the balance there, hi, we would love for that to be there, but, but hire people who know what they're doing. And,
1: and to add to that, that's exactly why we need a structure. You know, we build, we start a company because we need structure on the business side. Often these deals are terrible. People get taken to the, even if they have somewhat of a success, they end up making that money. Somebody else makes the money. Or they're creative disasters. So it's because both of those, and it's not because they don't have talent or ability. It's because they don't have experience. This is, ours is a business that you literally cannot learn unless you have experience in it. So you're gonna either fail, a bunch of times until you can get it right or you can come along with people who have already done that and already know this and have experience and can help you and say, you know, I think you're headed to the ditch right here. What if we did X, Y, and Z? Or what if we did it this way? Or what if we protected you on the business side this way? It has to have some structure. If we have structure, then there's a place for every one of those people to come to say, this is what I have to offer. We know the audience is there. The audience is massive. So we just have to have a structure and capital to run that structure right.
7: Um, I've just, uh, and this is all great information, all of it's great information. Uh, I was good friends uh, in L.A. with a gal named Cass Allen, whose father, Richard Allen, was National Security Advisor during Ronald Reagan's uh, first uh, term. And I'd be talking about various things going on in my career or whatever, and Cass would always say, pray and do the next indicated action. And I have a little production company now called Next Indicated Action Productions. But it's kind of like how in Indiana Jones, when he steps out, they say step out and the bridge appears. All I knew is before I moved here 13 years ago, and I remember Dave and I going to lunch At one point, he said the whole industry is going to change in the next eight or nine years because of not only independent films, but Netflix, Amazon, all this kind of thing. And I had turned down 16 jobs before I left during pilot season, both with acting jobs I didn't feel good about and students who came to me in tears, because I had one actress, a gal whose um, uh, child had been a uh, regular on a very prominent sitcom, and she was in tears because her agent said, um, well, she wouldn't get anything if she didn't go for this audition, which, uh, you know, she strongly objected to. And, uh, and I was depending on that money that day as my income, but I wasn't going to take her money. And I said, I said, well, first of all, I'll get another agent. And I said, because if they tell you, and I don't care what the topic is, you know, and say this is it or you don't do it, you go, you go find somebody else. And I remember when I went and I called my brother, Mark, who's back here, um, and Mark's a former Illinois state senator. And, but he's also um, been one of my spiritual guides all my life. He said, it's okay. You know, God, God will take care of it. You don't have to worry about it. It, It'll work out. And when I came back, there was an envelope with a little check slipped under the door from this actress for my full fee. And she said, Cheryl, I had my lesson that I can stand up to my agent, that we're a team. I don't just have to do what she tells me to. And lo and behold, the next week, she got something on Joan of Arcadia or something. I know Dave cast her for something a few years later. And each time... I have prayed and done the next indicated action. I've been led, and when I moved here 13 years ago, uh, you know, I didn't, you know, I knew people in politics, but I didn't know the arts community. I didn't know anybody, and I've had 6,000 students. And the thing is, and I don't care what their politics are or or, or any of that. I care about helping them. I, I care about them knowing show business. And I care uh, about them thinking how they can help, that they can use their talent to not be enveloped in this narcissism or victimhood because I have had people high up in the business. I had somebody who won an Oscar cry on my shoulder one time in a spiritual gathering just a few weeks after they'd been walking the red carpet. And when all of us have seen situations that whether the Oscars you're gone or whatever, it's it's not going to give it what what you think it's going to. And I'll just finish saying this: that that my four favorite movies that have some Oscar winners, some not. Um, Chariots of Fire, where the runner has to decide whether or not he's going to run on Sunday or not. Uh, a Man for All Seasons, where Thomas More is being pushed by everybody to make a decision he's against. Uh, to Kill a Mockingbird, the great you know civil rights film of its time, and then Draft Day. Which is all about the football draft. And friends would look at me and say, you, you love draft day, Cheryl? You know, I mean, I used to call halftime at a football game intermission. You know, I know nothing about football. (laughs) However, that film isn't about football. And it's not about draft day. It's about character. And it's about, and, and how Kevin Costner, the guy who's picking the players, you know, who who is the character, who's gonna be player? Not the not the not the star guy of the moment, this guy who consistently does the right thing. And I'll tell you one last thing. Over the last few weeks, you know how you get on YouTube, you go to see something, and then something else catches your interest, and all of a sudden two hours goes by, you're looking at all these YouTube clips. I was watching an old Academy Awards with people talking and I see Kevin Spacey in the audience. And everyone's hearing me. I see Harvey Weinstein in the audience, mm-hmm. and I see people who have come and go, and that 's the thing that if you just keep doing the next indicated action in your storytelling and your career and know that you 're supposed to do it, especially for actors, because otherwise you know um, if I were better in math, I would have been an accountant, but i 'm not, and so in going forward, whether it 's reaching out. You know, to to uh, like minded people, or just listening and seeing how you can help in furthering um, not only your career but other people's. And I've had six thousand students, and I didn't know really anybody except my brother and maybe Lee Edwards and a few other people. when I came to town, so it's a little off subject, but it's 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 to the point too that you will be led, and I think uh, you you will succeed. I feel blessed anyway.
5: Oh, uh, question? Oh, well, I, 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 let... I got a question for anybody. Well, I, can I just, can let, I just, just wrap that one up really fast? When she said next indicated action, N I A, next indicated action, well, my daughter and her daughter, my granddaughter, came up with a song called Nia, N I A, Nia. Oh. NIA. <laughs> Nia in Swahili means purpose. So, and so they first, they're working on the song. And she, uh, my goddaughter is a publisher. They're going to have a little book that goes with it and a music video and all that. So that just, just struck me. So I, I will just say this kind of fast. I like a lot of movies too, I, I could tell you. But most of them have songs in them. Uh-huh. Both versions of Annie, our, our Bodyguard, you know, My Fair Lady, sound of music, as me. But um, th- I just wanted to go back to something that Lee said at least the first politics is downstream from culture. And media, entertainment, and all that is really the fourth branch of government, but it really does go after the heart instead of the mind or the pocketbook, because they know both of those are going to follow it. That's right. And the last point is, uh, and I kind of said this, I don't know if I'm the first person that ever said this, because there's nothing new under the sun, but I was telling my boss, because he was like, well, we bring you in to save babies, so why don't you just do that? And I said, well, when peripherals collide, convergence is imminent, (laughs) It just popped out right <laughs> he says i said well if i do this i say that then somebody might believe it then they might help us save a baby so that's the way my mind works and that's what movies do and entertainment does so you bring those things together and then we accomplish neil
6: i just want to add that i that's think great. and if i i, I mean uh, lee if i could just say that i think heritage and, and lee and Ed and you guys are – these guys are really starting – to uh, really getting this. I mean, look, we're here today. Uh, another film that I've been involved with, in, Unplanned. You're doing a screening for Unplanned, I think, coming up. And then we're doing a screening for No Safe Spaces, my film with De- Dennis Prager and Adam Carolla on the 29th. I'm just amazed uh, at the good work these guys are doing. So I think we're talking about problems that are out there. This building uh, really gets this stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I just want to say also that for our film, No Safe Spaces – we have conservatives, liberals, moderates, uh, independents all over in the film reaching a consensus about free speech. I have Van Jones, uh, Cornell West, and Alan Dershowitz in the movie from the progressive side saying we believe in free speech. We don't know what this crowd is saying, but we, are, we stand with mm-hmm. conservatives. And so we do want to find that broad center-right coalition of 70 75 80% who agree on these things. And that's our goal. But I just wanted to say that for, for Lee and the gang here – it's just been amazing to see uh how they've how they've embraced uh, and really gotten with with these these issues so thank you lee
3: mm, thank you i just think that there's a perhaps a critical mass which yeah. is being approached yep and i think that's reflected in you all what you're talking about here uh, also the fact that we've got this wonderful turnout today which is uh <clears throat> indicated i think of what i'm talking about we have time for some questions.
7: Market uh, Mark had, had a question We have there, some please?
3: questions, but...
7: Uh, yeah, right there, back there.
3: <clears throat> <clears throat> wanna I want to wait a minute mic, and get Mark. you a mic.
1: Dave, you've been talking about uh, alternative structures. What about alternative awards to the Oscars, and not just for uh, best
3: movie, best actor, and so forth, but for the animator, for the tech guys, who... Because everyone appreciates getting an award, and they really don't care
1: who it's from, you know. <laughs> I mean, they might they might appreciate an award from the Heritage Foundation mm. Film Division or something like that. What, what's your odd? Uh, that to me is is a second. It's it, Mark said it perfectly. It's all about box office, and 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 in television, it's you know ratings or its subscriptions. So it's about success first. The awards, all that'll come later. There are awards. Movie Guide has them. Uh, which is a, quite a big event, it's grown to. Parents um,
7: Television Council awarded. Doc yeah. That um,
1: I've won a bunch of, uh, uh, Movie Guide Awards over the years and a bunch of those awards. It's really about, Im- for me, it's not about awards, it's about impact. So, and again, it's why you don't make heavy-handed, on-the-nose, um, propaganda. You know, if you're gonna do something that you want people to get a message, you first have to draw them in, earn the right to be heard. It's biblical. You gotta make it, make them laugh, make them cry, make them care. I've said this before, but I'll say it again. Most people in their lives have very few people they will actually really open up to and share with. It's really, I mean, you can probably count them on one hand, most of, but virtually everybody will go into a movie theater or go sit in front of their TV, take a key, open their heart, open it up and say, go ahead, move me however you want. However, if they see you doing that, they'll go lock it back up if it's propaganda. But if it's done really well and you draw them in, you can literally lead them almost anywhere. By the way, it happens on the left too. They, The ones that are... You know, I don't think Vice impacted anybody. It was so heavy-handed and clunky. It was it was literally unwatchable. And that's from a really talented guy, McKay. You know, he did Big Short, which is brilliant. But he was heavy-handed on the nose, and it was just like Vice. You know, it's like turn it off. But you do it really well, and and you you'll get people to follow you. That's how you have impact. That's for for me what is important. What's the best way to encourage our people in the industry and give them a pat on Mark,
5: the Mark a, a
9: great way to the ways movie, film. Buy
5: a ticket and go to the show. Yeah,
1: yeah have, have it be a success and do film the next Film festivals
9: one. are very good too. And that's a good measure of your success because it's a peer-reviewed okay. uh, whatever. Whether it's your script, whether it's the finished product, whether it's a trailer, whatever like that, it's basically peer-reviewed and you're up against a ton of other competition. And it's just a good way to kind of vet it. And see how you're doing and it's a kind of an award and you know there're all different kinds of film festivals out there mm-hmm.
6: yeah but I, I would encourage you everybody in this room to watch Vice and watch on the basis of sex uh, Dave watches like five minutes and gets so disgusted he can't watch that. I watched I watch it for him <laughs> uh, but watch those this my year, wife wanted year, to turn you know, it off really important it. movies can I can I ask Lee please have every heritage employee watch those two movies. And remember that your kids and grandkids will learn history in junior high and high school from those movies. The teacher yes. will put them on, okay. leave the room for two hours, and say, here's history. If you don't like that history, you better start making different versions of it, because that will be the history for the next 100 years. Ruth Bader Ginsburg will be defined by that movie on the basis of sex, not by what the Wall Street Journal says about her or any other publication. Movie JFK.
1: And, and I just want, I want to put a, one, a plug in for Mark. Mark is doing a movie on Reagan. This would be the first pro-Reagan movie, first person. They'd done one it's before. It's fair. Right? That's, no, that's what I mean. It's not an anti-Reagan. Can you imagine? I mean, this is a guy who had, you know, one of the greatest impacts in the history of this country. And they've never done a movie about him that was, that was you know, that wasn't done by the up op- people trying to make him look bad.
7: And one of my former acting students is playing Reagan as a young man. And that's just... Yeah. How that happened,
1: but Mark is it? a situation mm-hmm. where it's like know you know he's been at this for a while trying to get the capital. It's the capital. The guys with the capital have to step up. That's the bottom line. But how, about, how about
8: the combination? Like I've been looking at you two fellas and I was researching you all. But, and one of the things that I found that you had in common was a director that everyone loves, Frank Capra. Frank Capra, It's a Wonderful Life, Miracle on 34th Street, Meet John Doe, Mr. Deeds Goes to Town, Pocket Full of Miracles. And to your point, it was all about the heart, but he also was a morality play. The other person who was brilliant, I don't know if you could do it now, uh, that had morality plays in 30 minutes on television, Rod Serling. Rod, yeah. Okay, Ken, you had a combination with... Frank Capra, at a time when the studio system be able, was able to create the Ronald Reagans and the Gary, Gary Coopers and the Jimmy Stewarts and the Marino Harris and the John Waynes, can you do that now with that combination, looking for money and new venues when films aren't doing well, but Hulu and Netflix are? Can you put that magic from your perspective? Because I think your perspective is very close to the morality of a Frank Capra and of a Rod Serling. And they were opposite
7: politically. You know, but they came on same type of moral values, you know. The
1: short answer is if you have your own system, if you have people running it who want those values, you can. Those days are gone in Hollywood. Hollywood's never going to embrace that. Mm -hmm. It's over. It's never going to happen. Mm -hmm. You have to do it outside the system. But the good news is because of technology and because of where we are in the world and all the business models and everything else, it's now possible. It wasn't possible before. You couldn't take on the Hollywood before. You can now. It's in, and it's all new. It's within the last 7-8 years. So you can. And and by the way, you should because we know the audience likes that.
7: Atlanta. Got to get the microphone. Other areas. Yeah. I'm
9: going
2: to it. Go ahead, go ahead. You go. Yeah. Because I have a I have a real question. Um, <laughs> not a fake one. Do you I want to know if you see a difference now in the since Trump because one of my exes is a screenwriter who has had about eight or nine films actually produced, so it's not like he's sitting in a basement somewhere cranking them out. And he had always told me, going back into the 80s, he had always said, the truth is in Hollywood, it doesn't really matter about your politics because what everybody worships is green. Mm. And if you come in with a good script... They were going to do well. He's a writer. Yeah. If you come in with right. a good script, if you come in with the script and they think they can make money with it, I take off. They take back the good script. If you come in with a script that they think they can make money on, they don't care what your politics. That's is. wrong. That is one hundred
1: percent wrong. That's the that's the fallacy in our business.
2: Okay. Now, so, this but, but and he would tell me about how many people were actually the the technicians and everything were always much closer. You know. Yeah, than,
1: they're they're the, not the problem.
2: That they were not the problem, no. exactly. But here's what, here's why I ask, is because we had, he's, he's done well, d- then despite his politics, but we I came up with an idea for a script which was a sort of a farce, almost an um, Altman-like black comedy on Trump derangement syndrome and people going through these ridiculous things happening in their lives because of Trump derangement syndrome. And it wasn't about Trump. It was about people doing stupid things in their life. So it wasn't – the focus wasn't on Trump. We – he couldn't get – his agent wouldn't even pitch it. And something felt very different – since trump than even before well
1: it's come out in the open the the first of the thing i want to say and i've been doing this for 30 years this is not about money this is not about money this is not about money people you have to understand it's one of the issues we have with conservative business guys They think you know if hollywood can make money at it they do it no they won't this is about how does this affect my standing in the club Sure. That is what drives everything. The create, there's two sides of a studio. There's a, there's a creative side, which is what creates the content. They are purely ideological, and that is all about how does this affect my standing in the club. Then there's a different, there's another side called distribution. Those guys just want a new BMW at the end of the year with their bonus. Those guys y- you can deal with all day. And there's opportunity there because they're not, those pipes aren't filled as much. The studio used to create 40 or 50 of their own movies a year to fill those pipes that went go all over the world. Now that studio will do 8 or 10 movies a year. So this side of the house will say, we got room in our pipes. If you can prove there's an audience and you can prove we can make money, we'll do that. You can deal with those guys, but not the ideologues. To answer your last question, and I, I don't want to monopolize, but I have strong feelings about this because I hear it a lot. What's way. happened, what's happened in the last two years is all the things people used to say only behind closed doors, they now say any place, anytime, anywhere. But I heard, I've not heard one thing said about Donald Trump that I did not hear say about Reagan, Bush, Bush, McCain, oh. n- name a conservative. But they wouldn't say it, they said it in it private, be- they said it in closed, uh, you know, quarters.
6: I just want to add one thing. We were very negative, but I want to give a positive example. Yeah. Philip Anschutz, who I used to work for for five years in Denver, was worth between 5 and $18 billion. He did it fairly close to what could be done by many other people in the future, and I hope others will follow his example. Because of him, we have the Chronicles of Narnia. We have the Ray Charles movie, which I worked on, Holes, because of Win dixie movie. He hired professional people. Now, you know, there was some questions about the company was always kind of led in two different directions. Right. But nevertheless... That's a model with a guy that really, and he came out about it even. I'd say he didn't, you know, he didn't lose money, but he wanted to leave a legacy for his grandkids. Now, His goals were basically uh, want to didn't want people to use drugs. You see those ads, pass it along, helping old ladies across the street. Those are his ads. Those are his goals. But that is not a bad example. If we had more philanthropists who would put up their money and do that, mm-hmm. uh, so I don't want to be totally negative. We yeah. there have been some good examples. He started that in 2000, and and it's sort of petered out. But that was a wonderful example of a person who's really contributed to our culture.
7: I think there's a lot to be positive
4: about. I do. I just wanted to ask about um, a lot of the, um, the black entertainment. Why do you guys think, and this question is not for you, but why do you guys think that um the roles, right, of black people in entertainment and in Hollywood, why do you think that they're so derogatory? Like, we can't. Go and see a movie if somebody—it's rare, but I mean the majority of the roles in Hollywood when it comes to blacks, why is it always something derogatory? Why well, is it hard
5: for
6: um, us to get positive work, positive yeah. roles? Where would right. you put Tyler Perry in that in that spectrum?
4: Um, I I I would say he's funny, but do I respect exactly what he does? I do not, um, because I feel as though that he's made it acceptable for men, um, to pretend to be women. And I'm not trying to step on anybody's toes. We're just having a free conversation here. Can I but, answer that? Um, <coughs> I'm kidding. Go ahead, Mom. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, I think that I, because I work with juvenile detention, um, I work in juvenile detention centers. I work in prisons throughout America. And I see what a lot of our youth, they idolize everything that they see on TV. And because what they have seen is completely contrary to how we should live, I just wanted to know what do you guys think about that and how do you feel about that?
1: Yeah, I think I think it used to be worse than it is now. Um, there was an actual a reason for a long time. They would always use the, and I think this has been blown out of the water now, but they would always use, I mean, Denzel, Will Smith. I mean, these guys have very positive role models, and they're big, big, big stars. But even those guys couldn't get certain movies made until they became mega, mega stars because they would always say, you know, black led films don't work overseas. Hmm. That's what they always said. Now, I think Black Panther. True? Well, they would tell you that. I never believed it. But ago. they would always say, and and I suspect it was because of some you know their experiences they were having. They couldn't sell it. They couldn't get top dollar overseas. Okay. But that's the excuse they would always use. And then of course you come out and you see Black Panther, which blew that out of the water. So that. I think that's changing. I really do. I hope it does change. I hope it changes again for. You know, for, it's, it's Hispanics the same way. Probably worse, actually. There's probably less positive roles for Hispanics than than anybody. So I hope it does change. Wow, good question. Mm-hmm. And I just want to say,
4: and I'll have Mike, but conservatives, you guys have to come together, right? Because I've got a big platform in the secular world. You guys have got to come together and stand up and speak out, right? And don't worry about what other people say or how they think because these people up here need your support. I'm a
1: black conservative. I need your support. And, and let me add to that, because you hit on a perfect thing. I have a series right now that I've I mean, I've had a lot of success. I guarantee you, I would bet everything I own, that if I made a series that was about a Candace Owens-type lead character who goes out a black conservative who is fierce and bold and smart, and I guarantee you that would be a monster hit. And I guarantee you
6: <laughs> <laughs> and I, There's a Candace Owens actress right there.
1: And I, I guarantee you if I pitched that at every outlet in Hollywood, I could not get that sold.
6: Wow. I have Candace. Guarantee. I have Candace and no safe spaces, by the way. But the difference is we fund it outside, and then we bring it that's to our right. studios for partnership. That's that's the formula that we do. I just don't want – they're my friends, but I don't want them deciding content. So that's our, that's our motto. We fund it out here and bring it, it to the studio oh, they can't mess that part and
7: up. And the thing is, Hollywood isn't the only game in town anymore. Right. Yeah. You know, it, there's Atlanta. There's the stuff, you know, as I say, the other platforms, As you as you predicted, Dave, to me years ago. So there's that.
3: Oh, we
1: had one. But I about maybe one, one more question. Oh, my yeah. goodness. He's got
7: one back there.
0: Just one more question. You are. Okay. Um, I've talked to many of you guys up there. Uh, Dave, you bring up the idea of, of infrastructure. I couldn't agree with you more on that. I think one of the conversations that has to take place is the conversation about how the people that have the means to actually put the money up for these types of things tend to lurch towards throwing money at political campaigns Mm -hmm. that are Mm short-lived because they think that that's the way to influence change in America as opposed to putting it behind media that stays on the shelf, lasts forever, is beamed out across the world. And I think that until you shift that mindset and plant that idea – that this is this is the investment you need to be making because this is the investment the left has dominated knowing that as long as they they do they do that that every election that comes along when our candidates run into a headwind we don't know where it comes from all you have to do is look at the television that runs for the for the two years prior mm-hmm. absolutely so i think that uh, that shift is something that has to come into the, these conversations in terms of that understanding
1: yeah, and I don't think it's an either or. I think it's an and. I really look at this as, it's you know, we're all in the same battle, right? So there are ground troops. There, You know, you wouldn't go fight a war without having an air force to come in. That's really sort of what the media is. We soften up the land ahead of time. You soften the ground so that when the, the troops on the ground, which is what is, happens in this city, those people, you know, are met with less resistance. That's exactly what it is.
7: And that's the thing. If you're telling a good story, i was saying to the others, line I've used for years wasn't originally mine, but I say when you remember the French Resistance, you don't go up to an SS officer and say, hi there, I'm Pierre with the French Resistance. <laughs> no, you you yeah. tell... It <laughs> doesn't work that way. You,
5: you tell your story. That's it. Good story. She really has one, yeah. That
2: was good. That was funny. Maybe end on a note of unity. Um, back during the golden years of Hollywood, they... Actually, work to try to help bring the country together yeah. and rally
7: them. You know, certainly in first and second world war kind of thing. Um, today, could those
2: movies be made, or do you have to be against America? And isn't that a way to sell it? In fact, that everybody says they want to see the country united, and our message
8: unites, I think, better than the other sides.
1: Well, again, it, it it's you, yeah. You if you have a capital, this is the beauty of it. If you have capital, there's. There's people who have the experience. There's talent. We can make anything we want, and we know the audience is hungry. You have half of the people sitting out there saying, I don't want what they're selling. You know, I always well, say if you if, – if you, you...
6: yeah, it's, yeah. yeah it's actually... Well, that's one of the reasons Hallmark is so successful. It's actually way worse than what David is saying. He's, David, he's being generous. So, uh, in the 1930s, I believe 60% of Americans were at the movies week in, week out. Today, it's five to six percent. So, every week, I remind my friends in Hollywood, 95% of the population is rejecting what we make week after week. Now, that inches up when we make content. So, when The Passion of the Christ came out, uh, before it came out, uh, the LA Times and Variety predicted. They they do this every week; they're they're perfect usually. They predicted 15 to 30 million. It made 125 million the first five days. I call those people in a Washington Times called UFGs, unidentified filmgoers. I know that because they're my relatives.
1: Right? <laughs>
6: <laughs> um, I called my aunt in St. Louis. I'm working on a film called The Passion of the Christ. Have you heard of it? She said, I have my for a day. I said, how could that be? Well, I heard about it a month ago. I called my aunt in Dallas. Same question, same answer. And I said, when was the last time you went to the movies? My aunt in Dallas, E.T., 81. <laughs> <clears throat> my aunt in St. Louis had never been to the movies in her entire life. She hadn't been to Bambi or The Sound of Music. Anything her first experience. I'm so sorry for her. The first experience is Jesus being beaten to a pulp. <laughs> My wife's grandfather in Seattle he had his tickets. Those are the UFGs, and there are millions of them out there. But they're rejecting what we make every week. And to make
1: your this to make your point about it's not about money. Two weeks after that movie came out, and they knew it was going to go to at least a half a billion dollars. Two studio heads said. I don't care what it makes, even knowing what I know now, I would not make that movie.
6: Well, they all passed on it.
1: No, they passed it first, but they said, even know now, I know it's a monster hit. After it became a hit. After it became a hit, said, I still would not make that movie. That was $900 million.
6: You've given
3: us so much to think about, and let me just say that this is something which we've never done here at the Heritage Foundation before. I'm so delighted that so many of you turned out. Many, many wonderful ideas have been broached here. Uh, this is just the first event. We're going to do more things, and maybe we can get some of our friends to maybe write a few checks as well. I'm not going to make any promises on it, but we can certainly try. So, ladies and gentlemen, please join me in really giving a wonderful round to our Thank you. panel.
1: Thank here. you, Lee. <laughs> Thank you, Lee. And, and Thanks, Lee. Lee, I just want to thank, thank Lee for his leadership. Yeah,
7: thank you. you, Lee.
1: And I just want—I actually just want to say thank you because just your response to this shows you how hungry everybody is. This is so ripe for the picking. It really is. Fan- Fantastic. Thanks.
4: Thanks.
5: Amen. <laughs>